turn to Ephesians 1. We'll be reading from 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God of the to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he has for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he pre predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance to the in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he has lavished us with all, his, with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plain plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, children, you are dismissed to your classrooms. This is your Sunday school classrooms. Thank you very much, Sunday school teachers and parents who brought their children here in the building tonight. For those of you who are uh, joining them in Zoom, I believe it's going to be in Zoom. So um, hopefully you have your internet or your computers all ready. Um, let me just mic check. check, 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 okay. And if you do have a cell phone, please make sure they're all turned off or in silent mode and make sure if you are whispering that it is a whisper. <laughs> we are starting our um, series in the book of Ephesians. We're going to start it tonight. So before we get there, I have an outline for all of us to see um, what we're going to be tackling. Um, last year, this same time last year, uh, I've been asking God in which book to study for us. Uh, it was between Philippians or Ephesians, and through my reading with our uh, life principles with Charles Stanley, 
it was confirmed that it's going to be the book of Ephesians. I did decide that, but I couldn't get to it until I finished what I was doing, which prolonged the, the Knowing God series, the Resurrection series, and the Knowing God series. So now we're going to start this. Uh, a little bit of background will help, but before that, we'll, we'll tackle the, the outlines. So during our series, we're going to be seeing this. We're going to be tackling this. We're going to see... Um, not diving, but divine purpose, divine purpose, the glory and headship of Christ. We're going to be seeing that in, in chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. And then secondly, we're going to see prayer that Christians may realize God's purpose and power. That's Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. Um, and then uh, the third thing will be steps toward the fulfillment of God's purpose. That we'll, see, we'll be seeing that in chapters 2 and 3. And then salvation of individuals by grace that's going to be from in chapter 2 verse 1 to 10 and then reconciliation of jew and gentile through the cross uniting the jew and gentiles in one household revelation of god's wisdom uh, through the church prayer for deeper experience of god's fullness and then fourth we'll be we'll be seeing practical ways to fulfill god's purpose in the church and then within that, we're going to see unity, maturity, renewal of personal life, and then deference in personal relationships. And then principal, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters, and then strength and spiritual conflict, and then which is prayer, and then conclusion. So it's going to be, uh, it's an exciting book. It's a great book for us to study. It's quite extensive. Um, but regardless, it's something that we need to study. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people love to uh, point to Romans as a theology book, one of the theology books of, of the Bible. But Ephesians has also been written down quite well by Paul. And there's so many nuggets, some great Christian nuggets for us, some treasures and mysteries for us to learn. And, and most of us want to get to, in our Christian life, we want to get to where Okay, how does this apply to my family life right away? You know, like, how do I get my wife to submit to me right away? Right? But <laughs> we will have a hard time making them understand that they need to submit or us making us love them as Christ have loved us if we don't understand the first three chapters. The first three chapters, which is about God, His divine purpose for our lives. Um, a brief background for the book of Ephesians. It is held in great reverence by both biblical scholars and lay people. American Baptist theologian W. O. Carver described the book of Ephesians as the greatest piece of writing in all history. And English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge called it the divinest composition of man. In order to explore the full richness of the book of Ephesians, it is necessary to not only examine the literally literary texts of the book, but to examine the historical context, historical cultural context of the book as well, by exploring who the audience and the author of the book were, as well as delving into the characteristics of the book, the full depth of the book of Ephesians is revealed. The book of Ephesians was written to God's holy people in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a large commercial port in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, located at the mouth of Keister River near the Aegean Sea. 
as a large population center of a major trade route and the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was considered the gateway to Asia. Additionally, the city of Ephesus was known as a center of pagan worship as the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis, Roman goddess Diana. Considered one of the seven wonders of the Asian world, was located just outside of the city limits. As such, people from across the re region traveled to Ephesus to visit the temple and an industry of blacksmiths served there by creating trinkets, uh, creating trinket statues, and additionally, Ephesus would, had a large community of Jews and, a sin, and had a synagogue in the city. Uh, uh, Paul penned the letter uh, to the Ephesians when, while he was in jail. It was one of the books that he wrote. Colossians was one of them too. So he wrote this six years after he established the church in Ephesus. So quite, it, it's quite interesting because if uh, Ephesus is just like our, 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 our culture now. It's so much like our culture now. We are so idolatrous. Everybody believes in something rather than the real God. The biggest problem of our lives, of our society is we want a God that complements our liking, not the God himself. We want a God that will give us what we want. We want a God what we think he should be instead of who God really is. So for tonight, um, we have two points. God choosing Paul and the sovereignty of God. And I entitled our, our message, Chosen by God. This is part one. <laughs> part one. This is good. Um, I'm going to save the other next week. So the here, right here, it's a, a very poor picture of a plot map of a home project over at the Stead area by the North Valleys. Um, by, this is by Military Road. I'm not going to mention the builder, but this is a picture of their plot map. I was there with my client yesterday. Oh, no, actually Friday. I took a picture of this because I wanted to send it to my client because he wants to buy a new home and he needs a certain lot size. A certain, you know, it needs to be flat. He needs to put half, uh, a half court for his children in the backyard. So this is a design by the developer that he planned with his architect and his engineers that were approved by the city city uh, city engineers and all the permits have been issued. This map right here and the lot sizes and the locations and the addresses have been predetermined. This have been predetermined and has been designed by the developer himself. Now it is up to the consumer on which lot to get according to their liking. Now, certain lots, uh, lot premiums are given if your, pre if your lot is bigger than the rest of the guys, the rest of the neighborhood, you have a larger premium. You have to pay for it if you're buying a new home. So, and then, and then the perimeter, the barriers, the boundaries have also been determined. There's no way that the, the person that's coming in will say, I want my, I want lot 180 to have a bigger lot that overcross this 181. You can say that, but you won't get it. 
because it's not up to you. What up to you? What's up to you is to choose which one of these lots that are available that you are going to get. That's the only choice you have is which one to get. But then the, the size, the location, the address, it's all been predetermined. Which brings us to Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 2. Paul describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why is it important? This is how Paul always opens his letters. If you will read his letters, he always tells, tells everybody who he is. It's different how we write our letters now, right? You're reading the letter and then you put sincerely, Joe. But here, Paul always says right away who he is, who the writer is. Greetings from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. It's God's decision that he chose Paul and he spoke to Jesus. God, Jesus spoke to Paul. It's good that he tells us this because everything that he's about to write must be given full authority. We must concede that, this, that Paul was given full and complete authority by God to write what he wrote because these are mysteries that we are to accept. Anything new that comes, anything, any, any new teaching about our Christian faith is false. Anything that doesn't come from the Word of God is false. I hope we can, I hope we can accept that. The prayer of Paul in, in verse uh, 15 to 23, his prayer is that God will open our, our eyes, your eyes, uh, and, and He will give us the wisdom that we will be able to accept these truths that God is revealing through Him. And then to God's holy people in Ephesus, Christians, just like you, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord, you are God's holy people. And this letter belongs to you. I'm saying that because if you are an unbeliever, this the next few things will probably just confuse the life out of you. But the one thing is true here. Christ, God is the one that made the decision to choose Paul to be his apostle, to be his person, to deliver the good news to the Gentiles. And that's what, and that's what Paul became. And that's what, and, and you know, it, Pastor Julius was good to remind me before he left. Because for most of you, for most of you, you know that my, my, my very first day, trials in my calling was very obvious. <laughs> um, and, and Pastor Julius, to encourage me, his, his words of encouragement was this, go back to your calling. When times get tough, Joe, go back to your calling. In many ways, again, I told you, Paul was writing this letter while he was in jail, correct? Then, but yet he's saying, I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. Can you feel the peace in Paul um, despite his circumstance? Can you see the commitment of Paul for God's calling for him, to God's calling for him, despite his circumstances? 
And then he says in verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. See, grace, if you understand grace, what grace truly is, peace follows that. For, but most of us, we don't truly understand grace. We just understand that we're going to go to heaven. Grace means I can go to heaven because I accepted Christ. Grace is the fact that you didn't deserve something and it was given to you. That is what grace is. And this grace that we're talking about here that we receive from Christ is grace from the holy living God. And if we truly understand what we did, the fact that we accepted Jesus as our Lord, if we truly understand that we are dirty, that we are not worthy of His love, but yet because of His love and because of His grace, He made us worthy, and then now we can be with Him, that should be followed that full and complete understanding of grace is always followed with peace. Now, you probably do not have peace if you are living your life away from God's grace. One best way for you not to have God's peace is because you started thinking that you deserve God's love. This is, the, this is why the letter of Paul to the Ephesians Occurred. This is why he started writing it, because the first, the Ephesian church was forgetting their first love. They were forgetting their first love. That's why he needed to discuss it. But there was, there was no error whatsoever, but he was just taking them and reminding them of grace. Reminding them of grace. And then, let's look here. The, the next, this is another couple more verses that shows... And reveals so that it was God's choice, it was God's decision to choose Paul. In Acts 9 1, this is Paul, this is Saul before he became a Christian. In Jerusalem, Saul was still trying to scare the followers of the Lord, even saying he would kill them. He would kill them. And in Acts 15 16, but the Lord said, Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It was God's decision to choose Paul once again. Is that, I mean, you know what? I just remember I did pray. So please join me in a real quick word of prayer father i thank you for this opportunity this privilege that you have given to us once again to learn about you your will and your ways for us i pray father god that you give me the wisdom that i need lord in order for me to convey your message to your people i pray father that you open the eyes of their hearts and their minds and you give them humility give us humility in order for us to accept whatever it is that you want to tell us father i override my preparations lord god and let you and you alone speak to your people I pray for your protection, your guidance this entire evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I showed this because I, I want us to see who Paul was. And, and despite who he was, God still chose him. You know, there's been some commentaries that said that Paul or Saul was close to Hitler. 
on how much he persecuted the people of God. You see that? In Jerusalem, Saul was still trying to scare the followers, even saying he would kill them. And he did. He approved the death of Stephen. He was there. He gave the thumbs up. But then God, speaking to Ananias here, Go, for Saul is the one that I have chosen. And then look here, 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In our Christianity, in our faith, in our Christian life, God always wants us to know that it is His decision. He wants us to understand that He is God and we are mere men. He wants us to understand that His ways are higher than our ways. Again, the biggest problem for us, especially American church, is that we think we have so many rights. We have rights that our free will surpasses God's sovereign will. That our relationship with the Lord is a de democratic, democratic relationship. It's not. It's a relationship but then we have to understand a picture that this is God and this is us. This is going to be the majority of our message tonight, the sovereignty of God. Verse 3 reads, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessings in heaven. In Christ, He chose us before the world was made. He chose us in love to be His people, people who would stand before Him without any fault. Again, he writes this in prison, while well, he was in prison. But he still gets to say, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've been in jail or in prison here. I'm pretty sure we've all watched documentaries that shows us and reveals to us the condition of their prisoners here. It's quite comfortable if you compare it to the prison in the Philippines, right? And prison in the Philippines, there's no bed. It's overcrowded. I don't know how they're handling coronavirus right now. It's overcrowded, and the facility is just bad. It's like for dogs. And you know what? That's not any better with Paul's condition. During Paul's condition, jail, the jail, the prison system was terrible. And you would think, right? You would think, if Paul was an American Christian, his prayer would be, Lord, with everything that I've done for you, this is the best thing you could accommodate me with? This is the best accommodation you could give me? After everything I've done for you, Lord, all the sacrifices, all the churches that I've established for you, and this is my situation? This is where you put me? If he will just complain the way we complain, right? If Paul will just recite our deepest complaints to God, our cries to God. Lord, I gave my offering. I gave my tithes faithfully. And now I still can't get the, the, the promotion that I've been praying for. Lord, I've been attending church faithfully. 
But here Paul, despite that, he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's an important point. God has given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. God has given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. The difference, folks, of the Old Testament and the covenant that God has made in the Old Testament is that God made a covenant, a physical covenant with the people there. Physical covenant. He made a covenant for their financial situation, for their military blessings, and for their health. That was God's physical covenant with the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't translate to the New Testament. For us, we are the New Testament people. The New Testament, God's covenant in the New Testament to His people is spiritual covenant. Spiritual covenant. Spiritual blessings. So we are, we are, we can be obedient to God. We can be walking with God ever so perfectly, but persecution will still come our way. Sickness will still come our way. That's why I, I was I was I reminded somebody, and I'm good to remind myself too, that not because we get sick or trouble comes our way doesn't mean we sinned against God. You know, it sin does come with consequences, but it doesn't necessarily mean we sinned against him. Because Romans 8.20 says that, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. The New Testament covenant is spiritual. It is eternal and it is heavenly. An Old Testament, in all, all the Old Testament stories, all the accounts in the Old Testament, is to show us that it all points to Jesus. You know, just, just like just like how we don't slaughter any bulls right now, and we, we don't spill the blood of the lamb here for the forgiveness of our sins. Because that's pointing, it was significant, it was symbol it was it was to symbolize what Christ is to become in the New Testament. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because his blood was spilled for us, it was offered for us, he was the perfect offering. So huge difference, right? That's why now in the New Testament, spiritual blessings are given to us. Spiritual blessings. And the other thing that they didn't have that we have is both the Old Testament and the New Testament to read for God to speak to us through His Word. We don't have any more prophets that come our way and say, Hey, Leah, I have a revelation from God for you. Are you ready? <laughs> no. God speaks to us through His Word. But are you reading His Word? How much of His Word are you reading, are you meditating on, compared to how much of the junk from the world you're listening to and consuming? The Bible... The Bible will be nothing but confusion and disillusionment for us if we don't understand the difference of these two covenants, the old covenants, uh, the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant. We have to understand that we have to we have to realize it and we have to accept it because it's different. We are God's people. If you accept Christ as your Lord, the one guarantee for us. 
is that when we die, we go to heaven. Our sins have been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven. There's no more adding to it. That's one perfect guarantee and one huge difference from the people from the Old Testament. Now, we're going to tackle the one very controversial piece in this verse tonight. <laughs> controversial to a point that it was controversial before we made it controversial. The election, the doctrine of election. Now, I know we're in the middle or almost there. We're going to be having our election to vote for our president, right? For our president. So we get to choose who we think we want. But then the person that will have the most votes will be the one elected to become the president, correct? But that's the essence of election. The title of our message is Chosen by God. Do you remember? <laughs> I don't know if you want to remember it, but do you remember those times in the playground when you were in, uh, in grade school? And then it would time recess is there and, and the two big dogs, the two best guys in whatever game you guys are going to play are the ones choosing who's going to be in their team. Do you guys remember that? Some of you probably don't want to remember it because you were the last one picked, right? Or not picked at all. Yeah, being chosen at that point either makes your day or ruins your day, right? You, it makes your day, number one, if you're the one choosing. And if you were the first one chosen, it ruins our day if we're the last one chosen or not chosen to play at all, at all because we're too slow or we stink. <laughs> our grade school experiences with being selected or not can make us uncomfortable with the idea of God choosing who he will redeem. This is called the doctrine of election. But beginning in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, scriptures clearly teaches God's sovereignty in this decision. Yet there is no first or last with him. All whom God chooses, he chose in Christ in eternity past. In eternity past. God the Father chose Jesus. That's in Luke 23:35 and 1 Peter 2:4. And when he selected us in Christ before the foundations of the world. As you see in verse 3, verse 4, He chose us before the world was made. Now, the, remember I showed you the plot map? We're given a bird's eye view of the whole entire project, of the vision of the developer. That is what election is. That is what predestination is. It, we are given... It is not for us, it is not for us to determine, but we are given the privilege to kind of look in to how God sees it. God is giving us an opportunity to see in his eyes. I know this is again, this is very controversial. This is probably confusing a lot of you. But the one thing here is that God has given us grace before the foundations of the world. God foreknew because He's all-knowing. God knew. So God enables us because the Holy Spirit must quicken the person. 
the person the holy spirit must awaken the spirit of the person in order for that person to accept the truths about jesus amen you all remember it right when before you accepted christ there were many times there were many times that the gospel was shared to you but for some odd reason you won't accept it but there came that one moment that everything made sense that was the moment that the holy spirit enabled you and opened the eyes of your heart now god does not make you accept him he doesn't do that because we have the free will to accept him or not but God enables us. Now, which, which came first, the egg or the chicken? So, don't answer, you'll be wrong. <laughs> Actually, it's the chicken. You go back to Genesis, everything was created. Adam was created a perfect 25-year-old guy. He wasn't a kid and then became 25. He was a mature adult first. If the animals were created, there was no eggs. <laughs> and then on the seventh day, China made everything. <laughs> anyway, I lost myself there. <laughs> I'm going to show you verses that will affirm God's sovereignty in this decision. Okay? Hopefully, it will give you that the Holy Spirit will enable you to understand this truth. 1 Peter 2, 4. The Lord Jesus is the living stone. The people of the, Lord, of the world decided that they, will, they did not want this stone, but He is the one God chose as one of great value. So come to Him. Paul, Peter, re revealing who Jesus is. And it was God's decision. Judges 13, 5. This is speaking about Samson. Because you are pregnant, speaking to Samson's mom, you will have a son. He will be dedicated to God in a special way. He will be a Nazarite. So you must never cut his hair. He will be God's special person from before he is born. From before he is born, he will save the Israelites from the power of the Philistines. Now, how is that fair for Samson that he's being determined even before he was created? Maybe you saw in Judges 1 where Samson complained to God that he was chosen to be the... No, there was nothing there. Right? There was no complaint from Samson. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah 1.5 Because you are pregnant, again, the mom of Jeremiah... And you will have a son. He will be dedicated to God in a special... Oh, no, no. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. God telling Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Now, can, you, can we believe this? I mean, we're a faith that believes in a virgin birth. Correct? Our faith believes in a virgin birth. We're, our faith believes that Jesus resurrected on the third day. He was really dead the third day he resurrected on the third day we believe that jesus created wine turned water into wine which is the best wine that the the wine tester taster has ever had jesus walked on water defied gravity but some christians struggle with this some christians struggle with this that they they, they can't 
they will not accept predestination. They will not accept election. But here, it, it, it's, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born. I set you apart. I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And then Paul, Paul knew too that he was chosen by God again. But God has special plans for me in Galatians 1.5. But God has special plans for me before I was born. He chose me through His grace. Paul is embracing the doctrine of election. Why? Because he knew, he knew that he doesn't deserve God. You know, as, 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 Paul, as Paul grew in the faith, he first called himself as, the, as the, 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 the biggest liar to the chief of all sinners. He did not say, he didn't, he didn't get any better for him. He, as he looked, as he, get, he got to know God more and more, the less of himself did he appreciate, but the more of God he loved. You guys know, you probably heard of um, D.L. Moody. This is his quote. I am so glad God chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chosen me after I've lived. <laughs> That's D.L. Moody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a few names, a few names, giants in the faith that, that I listen to, and you probably listen to, that believe in the doctrine of election. John Corson. Alistair Begg, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, to name a few. Those people that I listen to, and I subscribe to, they all believe in the doctrine of election. I'm dropping names because I'm pretty sure most of you knew me when I was in the security ministry. And you know, what the heck is he talking about? Doctrine of election now. This is God's revelation to us. And what this should breed, this, what this should bring forth in our hearts is that, is that we should be humbled by it. We should be humbled by the fact that, Lord, why would you choose me? Why would you choose me? So the people, the people that don't like this, that do not agree with this, this, this election, this doctrine of election, is because they say that this makes God unfair. You know what? In the sense of God being fair and the way we think is fair, okay, okay, what is fair? So everybody will have a relative description or definition of what fair is. But fair. For me, if God was to be fair, it is to be fair. We should all be dead in our sins. That's what fair is. If any, if a person commits crime against my family, somebody murders my family, for me, what fair is, is that person, when he or she gets caught, is that they go get the electric chair they should bring it back that's what fair is to me that's what would be fair to me but God in that sense God isn't fair to himself because you know what God did right he died on the cross to pay for our sins against him so yes God's not fair to himself 
God is gracious to us. Amen? Grace is not fair. Do we agree? Grace is not fair. Christianity is not fair. Christianity is not fair. Christianity is about grace, and grace is given that we don't deserve it. You missed your monthly payment on your insurance, your car insurance, and you get into a car wreck third day after, and you still haven't paid your premium. Guess what? Because of the grace period. Okay, pay your premiums. Those old pastor told me five days. No, there's a five-day grace period. <laughs> if you guys miss it, it's your fault, okay? <laughs> five days. There's a five-day grace period. Because, and then the, your company will write to you. They say, we are not obligated to pay for this because you missed your monthly payment. But because of the five-day grace period, out of our grace, we are going to pay for this accident. That's what Christ is. That's what grace is. That is what we got. So again, is grace fair? Not at all. Not at all. So, so if, if grace is not fair, then us finding out from God, revealing to Him, revealing to us that He has chosen us before the creation of the world. Why are we to complain? Why are we complaining? Well, that's not fair. You should be grateful. You should be grateful. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. That's my time. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God is different. Nor are my ways, not, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, we, we continue to look for a God that soothes our needs instead of looking for the God, the real God that we need. We need to flip that. We need to reverse that thinking. We need to renew that thinking. Stop looking at the Bible. Stop reading the Bible and wanting it to, to benefit your sinful ways. Like, where is the loophole for committing premarital sex? I can't find it. Where's the loophole to know? Accept, accept what is written and live it. You want to grow in your Christian faith? Read your word, hear the preaching, live it. Live it. Thou shalt not yoke with unbelievers. Well, maybe, maybe there's exceptions. No. Look at the general rule, general command of the Lord, and then live it. Because His ways are higher than our ways. Matthew twenty two fourteen, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Jesus' words. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Now you read this and you're a Christian because this letter of Ephesians is for Christians. You read this and you say in Matthew, you say, wow, a lot were invited, but I'm, I'm one of the few. So we should be grateful, we should be flattered, and we should be humbled. And with all that should, should bring forth obedience to God, love for God. If we love Him, we would love to obey His commands, correct? And then John 20, 22. 
Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now, this is the, this is the comedic scene of Peter. After Peter was told, you know, he was reinstated by God, asked if he loved God, Jesus, three times. And then, and then somehow Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. And then Peter sees John, the beloved, coming because John was late. Maybe John was half Filipino. John was late for breakfast. And he's like, Peter was like, how about this guy? How about him, Lord? What's going to happen to him? Basically saying, is he going to die too? Because you just said I'm going to die. What did Jesus say? If I want him to remain alive, what is that to you? Folks, if you have accepted Christ, you are chosen by God. Amen? So what is it to you that you're saying it's not fair for the rest? What is that to you? You should be grateful that God has chosen you. Amen? What is it to you what God will do with the others? What you're told is that you share Jesus to them. You live your life according to God's will. You share God's grace to them because you don't know if they're chosen. Do you know who's chosen? No, there's no barcodes saying chosen. No, we're, we are told because of God's grace, we, the people that don't deserve Him, were given grace. Something that we don't deserve. Something we cannot afford. You know how unfair God is to himself? Do you guys remember the rainbow after the, uh, the flood? Noah, right? I'm pretty sure most of us heard this when we were younger. And it all become just, became just a story from the storybook, right? Or super book, cartoons. That's where I first heard it. So the rainbow, right, is there and it's beautiful and we see it. And that's God's promise that he will not flood the world again. Correct? But did you know the symbolism of that rainbow? The symbolism of that rainbow during Noah's time, the most powerful killing device is the bow and arrow. And if you look at the rainbow, it's a bow that's pointed to the sky. Meaning God himself took the arrow for us. He took the arrow for us. He, he went on the cross for your sins and mine. So he is unfair to himself. That's what grace is. God wasn't fair to himself. When we read, for God so loved the world, for God was so unloving to himself that he gave himself for us. For God was so unfair to himself that he gave his son to die on the cross for your sins and mine. That's how unfair he is. But his decision stood. Praise God that his decision, that he is sovereign. That he is sovereign. That no matter how many people will complain, no matter how many elections we will have, we can never vote him out. <laughs> you can try to vote him out in your life, but when you die... You will see him, and then the question will go, What have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? Before the world was even spoken into existence, God saw the people who would respond to his love. Amen? Is that impossible for God? God does not react to our decisions like, Oh my goodness, Joe did what? Marcy did what? 
No. God is not a reactionary God. He knew. He foreknew because He's all-knowing. And He is sovereign. What He says is fair is fair. What He says goes. The free will that we have is our free will to obey Him or not. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. It said that. Romans 8.29. How about this? I'll give you a, a, an illustration. Let's say God was saying, I can see that Joe will respond when I make myself known to him. When the gospel, I, I can see that Joe will respond when I make my, myself known to him. When the gospel is shared with him, therefore I predestined Joe to be a part of my eternal kingdom. And then someone will say, well, if that's the case, then why was someone who, know, who, who God knew wouldn't respond to him allowed to live in the first place? This is, this is the argument of the unfair. Now, let me just clear this. God did not predestine anyone to go to hell. Because God desires for all to repent, to come to repentance. But because God is, is all-knowing, He knew, He knew who was going to accept His grace or not. Right? So the person that will argue, so about that someone that God knew wouldn't respond to Him, why was He given enough life to live in the first place? The answer is that if a person is allowed to play his life out to the fullest extent, the, he could protest at the great at the great throne. Let's let's picture him at the great white throne protesting. Right? He he said, "I got rid of you early because I could see that you weren't going to respond to me anyway." God said that. Right? This is just a scenario. Oh, but I would have said the unbeliever, I would have, if you would have just given me a, a few more years. No, you wouldn't, God's, God would say. Yes, I would have, the unbeliever would say. And that would go on and on and on. Right? What actually will happen is a playback of the many times that the gospel was presented to, this, to the people that will choose not to accept Him. Maybe a video playback. It will be revealed to Him or her the many times that He or she rejected the Gospel. The many times that it was presented to Him. And it was His decision or her decision to reject it. Now for us that were chosen, for us that were chosen, I'm not telling us to be arrogant about it. I'm not telling us to be, to be anything else but to be grateful and to be humbled by that truth. Because before the foundations of the world, God chose us. Amen? 2 Peter 3, 9, this is the verse, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the truth. God is patient. God lets the person live for many years to prove that righteous 
and true are his judgments. That's Revelation 16, 7. And then lastly, Romans 8, 29 to 30. Uh, next slide, please. There you go. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he, who he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Having the knowledge that we were chosen by our God, the holy, loving, all-powerful, mighty God, should alone bring us so much gratitude, so much joy, and humility. With having this in mind, it should make us appreciate what grace truly is. And as we appreciate the grace, the truth behind all of this, we have to remember that when God has chosen us before the foundations of the world so that we can become like His Son, not so you can continue to live your sinful life. So that you can continue to life to live a life of a party. That's not glorifying to God. You are to live your life glorifying to Him. And bringing people to Christ through your life and through your words. Knowing that God is sovereign, that He has foreknowledge, make us understand that nothing in this world and in our lives surprises Him. Nothing. Which also brings, again, grace. Because grace was given to us to forgive our sins in the past, our sins in the present, and our sins in the future. Nothing surprises God and grace covers all of it. Amen? Because God knows that we will fail one way or another. But God is just like that father. Remember many years ago when I showed a video here of the Olympic runner? And then he cramped. He pulled his hamstring, and then he fell on the ground. And then there's this one guy that's running through the security guards. People were trying to stop him. And the guy, the guy was just saying, I'm his dad, I'm his dad. The father, the father of the track and field guy got up and picked up his son. And he walked his son all the way to the finish line. All the way to the finish line. Now that picture of a father is just gripping, right? Especially for us who didn't have a father like that. In this, in, this, in this world. But God our Father, He makes sure, he, he is up there making sure that we will finish this race with Him. Amen? Because He chose us before the foundations of the world. So if He made the decision, won't He make sure that we finish it? Amen, amen. That's a soothing truth for me. Knowing all of that, knowing all of that, folks, again, I kept saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. It should breed gratitude, humility, and love for God. And then in return, we will live our life loving Him with our entire heart, entire mind, entire soul, entire strength. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your truth, Lord God, of choosing us. Choosing us, Father, before we even knew we were going to do it. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice on the cross and for the gift of grace that is truly not fair, fair to you, Lord God, but so beneficial, such a blessing for us now and for eternity. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters, 
I pray that this truth will live in their hearts and in their minds. That your Holy Spirit will be the one to give them the clarity of that message. And that they will completely and fully understand as they continue to live an obedient life with you. I pray, Lord God, for healing for our brother John and his family and protection for them. And any other else, any other one that is sick or is just going through trouble, Lord God, I pray for rescue for them. I pray that you attend to everyone's needs, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for all your blessings. And again, Lord God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Please rise for the closing hymn.